Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Today on the show, I am thrilled to interview my dear friend, Marie Forleo. As you'll hear on the show, Marie is truly a Renaissance woman. She's been a dance and fitness teacher, a choreographer at MTV, an editorial at Condé Nast, worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and then at 23, she was climbing the ladder in publishing when she heard a calling to become a life coach, an occupation that didn't really exist at the time. And through her creativity and dogged determination, she founded Marie TV, became a New York Times bestselling author, and created B-School, an online business education program that has inspired over 55,000 people to step into their entrepreneurial potential. And Marie and I talk about her multi-passion approach to entrepreneurialism, the importance of aligning your work with your passion and the impact you want to make in the world, how modern tools enable us to own our own time and location, and how to overcome limiting beliefs to unleash your full potential. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Marie Forleo. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and welcome to Commune. Well, it is such an honor to be here with Marie Forleo, one of just the world's greatest entrepreneurs that has combined her passions into a just unbelievable global business that is making um, a tremendous amount of social impact. Uh, and I'm a, a big fan. So thank you, Marie, for, for being here. Oh, Jeff, I adore you. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you've just accomplished a tremendous amount. Um, obviously, the founder of B-School, the founder and creator of Marie TV, um, the recent author of this great book, Everything is Figure Outable, a New York Times bestseller. Um, you know, I could shower you with accolades for the next 45 minutes, but I won't do that um, because um, your road, your path to success was not exactly a straight line. And That's right. um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit just about growing up, your influences, and what led you to be the successful entrepreneur that you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I am from New Jersey and I come, uh, my mom grew up in poverty and I grew up in a very just blue collar working class neighborhood down the shore. And work ethic was really important. I'm the first in my family to go to college, and that was a really, really big deal. And after I graduated college, my first gig was actually on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street. And I was so proud, Jeff. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm a person who has a lot of energy. So the idea, even you know, going through school of thinking and imagining myself sitting in a corporate environment at like a cubicle and pushing papers, that I wanted to stick a fork in my eye. I knew that wasn't going to be it. Yeah. But being on the floor of the stock exchange, I, it was exciting at first. I had never been in an environment like that, but it was also challenging. At that time, this is the late 90s. 
you know, it was 99.999% men. The culture was essentially you work all day, bell rings at four, you like go hit strip clubs, there's lots of coke involved, you know, it was like a whole scene. And after about six months, I really started hearing this little voice inside that's like, Marie, this isn't you, this isn't who you are, this isn't what what you're meant to do in in this world. And I remember trying to ignore that voice and be like, shut up. No, I've got to stay focused. Like I need this work. I need the paycheck. I need the health benefits, all this stuff. So that little whisper started growing louder and louder until one day I had what I can only identify as a panic attack. I walked in to the floor, felt really dizzy, felt nauseous, like just had trouble seeing what was going on. And I said to my boss, Hey, I need to go grab a coffee. He's like, no problem. I didn't go grab a coffee. I actually made a beeline to the nearest church, which was Trinity Church downtown, because I had sure. gone to a Catholic school. And in a crisis, I was just kind of trained to, to look up and ask for some guidance. And so I'm sitting on the church steps, crying my eyes out. And the first sign I got was just call your dad. And that made sense because I knew how hard my dad had worked to help put me through school. And I was terrified, not of him, but just of disappointing him and thinking like that I want to quit this job. It's not like I have a trust fund. I already have debt after college. I don't want to bring shame on my family. And I call my dad and I'm just doing the ugly cry, snot's coming out of the, you know, my nose and just can't breathe. And he broke in and he's like, great, hold on. He's like, you're fine. You've been working since you were nine years old. I'm not worried about you keeping a roof over your head. He's like, look, this is the secret to life. You have got to find something that you love to do. And if this job isn't it, which it clearly isn't, then you absolutely need to quit and you need to go find whatever the thing is that you're meant to do. And once you do that, I'm telling you, everything else is going to fall into place. And I'll tell you, Jeff, when I heard my dad say that to me, something rang true. Even though I had no idea how to find something I was supposed to love and I, you know, he didn't give me any clues for that one. Um, I felt like what he said was right on the money. And so I went on a bit of an odyssey and I was trying to uncover what I might be able to do in this world. My only two clues were that I was really creative and that I also loved the world of like business and commerce and money. And those two things, they didn't seem to go together. But an idea that popped into my mind was around the world of magazine publishing. I was like, oh, there's the editorial side, very creative. There's the advertising side, commerce. This sounds amazing. Let me go try and get into this industry. So I started temping in New York City and a a position came up in Gourmet Magazine, which is part of Condé Nast. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to be awesome. First of all, the gender balance was a lot more uh, prevalent. My boss was a woman. I'm like, okay, this is a whole new environment. This is going to be amazing. And I was there for uh, about six months. I loved it. My desk was right next to the test kitchen. So they would bring me snacks all the time. I'm like, this is the best job ever. This is amazing. But I will tell you, that little whisper came back again. Marie, this is not who you are. This isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. And now, Jeff, I was like, what is happening? What's wrong with me? And I took a step back and I thought, well, I don't want to come become my boss who is an account executive. And I don't really see myself wanting to become the publisher of this magazine. She was another woman. She was extremely powerful and amazing. And I said, well, if I don't want to climb this corporate ladder, what am I doing wasting their time and mine? And I thought to myself, okay, Wall Street, very business focused. Ad sales, very business focused. Maybe I've neglected the creative side of my being. Maybe that's where I'm really meant to go. So I went to the HR department. I said, hey, next time you have any assistant position on the editorial side, I'm your girl. A position came up at Mademoiselle Magazine. I was like, okay, 
this has got to be it. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm going to fashion shows. I'm working with photographers, doing layouts, like all of these incredible things. And I remember showing up in that office so optimistic. And what do you think happened? Those voices came back again. Marie, this isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. You're, this is not what you're supposed to do with your life. Now, Jeff, I'm not kidding. I started to feel very panicked. Like, do I have a cognitive issue? Can I not focus? Am I just a loser? Nothing made sense. I wanted to work. I love working. I couldn't stand what I was doing. And I didn't know how to reconcile these things. So one day I was on the internet and I stumbled across this article about a new profession at the time. Again, this is 1999 now. It was called coaching. And it talked about the fact that you could have this entire business that was focused around helping people and developing strategies to help people live these incredible lives. And I will tell you, when I read this article, something inside of me lit up like a Christmas tree. It was as though the clouds parted and little angels came out and they were like, oh, yet the logical part of my brain said this, Marie, who do you think you are? You're 23 years old. Who the hell in their right mind is going to hire a 23-year-old life coach? You haven't even lived life already. Plus, you're in tons of debt. Plus, you can't seem to hold down a job. This is the silliest, craziest idea you've ever had. Just one more thing you're going to fail at. So I had that voice chirping in my head. But I couldn't deny in my soul how right this felt. So I signed up for a three-year coach training program on the spot. I just put it on my credit card. I started doing my coach studies at night while I was working at Mademoiselle during the day. Fast forward a few months, I get a call from the HR department at Condé Nast. There was a promotion available for me. They wanted to move me over to Vogue, the most prestigious fashion magazine in the world. And that was my fork in the road. Do I stay on this safe corporate path and accept this promotion, more money, all the good things. People actually understand what you do for a living if you work at Vogue. Or do I quit and do this weird ass life coaching thing that no one had ever heard of at that point that I have no idea how to run a business. I have no idea how I'm going to actually do this, but it just feels right. So of course I uh, declined that promotion. I quit wow. my corporate job and uh, I decided that I was going to go all in at 23 to figure out how to build a life coaching business from the ground up. And I basically went back to waiting tables and bartending and doing every side gig I possibly could to keep a roof over my head while I figured out how to start a coaching business during the day. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And that was obviously an incredible inflection point in your life that has paid off massive dividends. But I don't think that sort of peripatetic quality of uh, in people's careers in their early 20s is that unusual. I think, right. you know, people are getting out of school and in some cases and sort of just getting the job they can and sort of like groping around, you know, for the right thing that's that touches their soul that that taps into that passion and i think you know one of um the ways that i think you've bucked the conventional wisdom is that oftentimes in modern society we're taught to like get really really good at one specific thing like yes. specialize in this niche and you're gonna own it yes and then there's something <laughs> that you've sort of made yourself uh, like indispensable to the yes. world 
but yes. that's not necessarily your yes. path. No, let me talk, let me speak into that because that was so, I remember, so after I'd made that leap and I was, you know, I had practice coaching clients, again, I was still bartending waiting tables, but a lot of the wisdom at that time too, the success wisdom was like, get hyper-focused, choose a niche, become great at this. And I remember, Jeff, oh my goodness, I had so many yellow legal pads filled with all of these different kind of, um, you know, elevator pitches, so to speak, of what type of coach I was. And I also journaled a lot at that time. And I would have these like kind of sad and angry, cryy, but frustrated little um, letters to God in my journal that were about like, why can't I pick one thing? Like, why can't I just understand how to get narrow and niche? And um, it was torturesome. And every time someone asked me what I did for a living at that point, I never felt comfortable just saying one thing because the truth was I was also passionate about health and fitness. I was also passionate about hip hop dance. The, the digital world was just getting online at that point and I loved understanding it, marketing, like there were so many things. And I was like, do I call myself a writer? Do I call me, like I just could never come up with a good answer. And then uh, one day I feel like I got a gift from the career gods. When I never had a good answer, when someone asked me what I did for a living, um, someone one day said, so what do you do? And out of my mouth, Pop, something that I had never said before. And it was this, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And I was like, where did that come from? That was amazing. And <laughs> I don't even know what the hell down. it means. Yes. That was, and they were like, what does that mean? And I said, well, let me tell you. So I have this coaching business that I run. I also bartend at X, Y, and Z restaurant. I've also started this new career in dance and fitness. I teach these hip hop classes and it gave me this new context through which to see myself and not ironically, that was the point in my coaching journey when I finally embraced all of who I was, that everything started to take off. It was like, I finally stopped trying to fit myself into a conventional box, gave myself permission to be the full real me, which is very multidimensional. I got more coaching clients. My dance workshops filled up. I eventually became one of the world's first ever Nike elite dance athletes, despite having no formal training. I never took my, I took my first dance, my first real dance class when I was 25, which is kind of way over the hill in the dance world. And ever since I realized how many other people are like me, meaning there are so many different things that they are interested in, passionate about, have some degree of strength in or talent in. And I think our culture is just so kind of stuck in archaic models around career and livelihood where it's just, you know, from way back in the day when you had to get a job and be in a factory and you were kind of a cog in a wheel and you did one thing for 30 or 40 years, you got that gold watch and then you retired and you're off in the sunset. And, you know, that's not the culture anymore. And most of us have many things that we're interested in and good at, but our society still tells us that we need one society approved answer you know, when someone asks us what we do for a living and it's just not practical. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you've obviously done such an amazing job at using and leveraging what modern society and the internet and tools have been given us to your benefit. And, you know, one of the things that um, when I listen to you speak and when I read about you, one of the ideas and the notions that continues to come to the fore for me is this notion of ownership yeah. in a very broad way. I mean, I know that, you know, you've never, you fully own the equity in your business. You've never yes. taken on any investment. So there's a sense of ownership in there. But even, 
I guess, maybe more esoteric concepts of ownership as they pertain to you own your time, you own your location. Like you can be and do your work from essentially wherever. You own your paycheck where essentially you can make the decisions around essentially how much of the business to distribute to yourself and to disperse. Yep. You own, you also really underscore the importance of owning your own platform like website and also owning the data of the customer, the email address, not worried as much about social, obviously social, social media is a big deal, but like, but they can change their algorithms and do all sorts of other things, but actually owning the relationship with the customer. Yes. Where did that kind of importance or that, that, uh, that need for ownership come into your reality or into your thought process? Yeah. I love this question so much because it kind of speaks into a few things. So one, um, I'm a person who likes to be in control and I'm very well aware that we are in a world where practically nothing is within our control, right? There's a lot of chaos. None of us know what's coming down the block. Uh, forces in our world, economic, social, political, environmental, so many things are quote unquote out of our control. But as a kid, you know, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. And I remember the day that my mom signed the divorce papers. So uh, it was in our kitchen in New Jersey. My mom was bawling. I mean, inconsolable. Her eyes were bloodshot. There was tears running down her face. And she was talking to her mom, my grandmother, uh, who was living in Florida. And she said, she's like, I have nothing. I have nothing. Like all of these years. And I could feel the scarcity. I could feel the terror. I could feel the anxiety. I could feel the upset. And so she hung up that phone after talking to her mom and she bent down to me and so her ear, her eyes were eye level with me. I was about eight years old. She grabbed me by the shoulders, Jeff, and, and she shook me and she was like, Ray, don't ever be stupid like I was. Don't ever give mm-hmm. anyone control over your life. Don't ever give anyone control over your money. Yeah. When you grow up, I need you to be independent and take care of yourself. And I'll tell you, it was a moment like that, that that kind of rearranged a little bit of, you know, on a cellular level. And I made myself a promise because I saw my interpretation, a kid's interpretation was that my parents got divorced over lack of money, right? Scarcity around money. And so I made this equation up that not having enough money equaled all of this pain, not having control equaled all of this pain. And my mom's kind of shaking me in that moment was just imprinting in me, take care of yourself, be independent, own yourself in every sense of that word. And so I think that it was that experience that really kind of set me up to say, you know what, there's so much in this world that I cannot control. And I know that but I want to be wise and intentional, and intentional about what I can. And as I've grown this business you know, from the ground up, really understanding and trying to keep an eye on technology and understanding like all these new platforms. And you, know, you mentioned something big. So many people, and I get nervous about this, you know, new entrepreneurs like me who don't necessarily have an MBA or advanced degrees or don't come from a family who kind of teaches them the ins and outs of business, you know, building their entire new business on a platform they don't own, yeah. like Facebook or Instagram or any of the others. And then if they change their algorithms or they change their terms of service or they fold, all of a sudden that business owner is out of business, right? Because they didn't 
really think it through and understand how to create something sustainable for the long term. Yeah. Um, one other point that I think that I just really love and I resonate um, with a lot is the importance and the power of connection um, in a business and also that that connection between a customer and a business is girded in almost like the business's sense of passion for what it's doing. Yes. And so I, I wonder if you could talk about the relationship between being an entrepreneur, having a business and passion and purpose and how and what that relationship is then to the customer. Yeah. So I think we're in such an exciting new time in our culture. We've never really been here in human history where now more than ever, there is an ability for we as humans to create the job, the career, the livelihood, the business of our dreams, to have something that we are deeply passionate about. And some are calling it now the passion economy, mm. where you have some gifts and some strengths, and you're going to build an entire company, an entire business around this particular mission. And I think, you know, there is such an opportunity to connect through love. So everything that I do in terms of our coaching programs, our training programs, the free content that we put out, I'm so committed to giving people tools and ideas and capabilities, introducing them to other people and resources where they can take that ownership and that power in their own life. And I'm so passionate about these subjects. So that passion, that um, desire, that enthusiasm, bleeds into every single thing that we do from what I write in my emails to the people that I hire and how passionate they are, how they treat our customers. It's almost as if there's no more like this is just business as usual or dialing it in. And mm -hmm. I think that the level of well-being and aliveness, you know, there's some studies out there, at least here in the U.S., that up to 70% of Americans are actively disengaged or dissatisfied at work. Yeah. That has incredible downstream negative effects in terms of our health and well-being, in terms of our health outcomes, just people just feeling like, gosh, what am I doing with my life? But on the flip side, when you know you find something that you're so passionate about, you're gifted at, you realize it can be of service of others, and that's what you're spending the majority of your time working on, it absolutely has the opposite. It has dramatically positive effects in terms of your health outcomes, how you treat other people, um, the kind of folks that are attracted to, to work in your business and your team. I just think it permeates everything. Like when you believe in what you do for your career, um, the downstream effects of that are all good. You know, I've um, founded in, and run a number of, I guess I would call small to medium-sized businesses in the health and wellness space over the last, you know, 15 years. And one of the things that I've learned along the way is, um, well, there's a few things. First of all, is to have a very clear, centralized mission for the company. 
develop a lot of fluency around that mission and then really decentralize a lot of the decision-making ability to the team and essentially make help them be entrepreneurs in their own right. Yes. And we've talked a, a little bit about this before. And in many cases, being an entrepreneur means going out on your own and starting your own business. But mm-hmm. that might not be exactly the path for everyone. That's and the right. fact is, you can be a leader and a creative entrepreneur within a larger business structure. And to be honest, when I'm interviewing folks, that's the number one thing I'm looking for. I'm not always looking for like, do you have Photoshop skills or do you know how to run drip email campaigns or whatever? I'm more looking at, at, a, at a potential candidate and saying like, do you have self-management skills? Are you an entrepreneur? Because if you are, it's almost like I can just, I don't have to make all the decisions. In fact, that's way better to watch of young people in particular come into an organization feel a sense of empowerment make some mistakes sometimes but then grow their uh their it's almost like not just their career development but their personal development and um i I just think it's such a a great recipe not only for really helping people grow but for the growth of companies oh yeah i mean i believe personally that everyone on the planet now, if they want to thrive in this current time and in the future, needs to behave, think, and act like an entrepreneur, even if you aren't the one responsible for keeping the lights on, right? So to your point, everyone in our company, I think we're at around 40 humans right now, all of them are entrepreneurial minded. They have that spirit. They behave as though it's their company too. So they are making decisions. They're looking out for the bottom line. They're wanting to create an even more outstanding customer experience. They understand marketing. They understand how to create those connections to grow the brand, looking out for those kind of things that really move the bottom line. And I think that for everyone now, it's like we can no longer just sit back and hope that like, oh, well, the next job's going to come to me or I'm going to stay with this company for 20 or 30 years. That's probably not going to happen. So we have to embrace and embody that position that we are an entrepreneur, even if you aren't the one starting a company from the ground up or you're not the one responsible for keeping the lights on. It's the most valuable skill set that you can adopt, in my opinion. And it will help you, I think, you know, if we're thinking about like financial security or just the peace of mind that comes when you know that you're valued and that your skill set you can transfer to another company, you can start a project that you care about, you can bring it to fruition. All of those skills are learnable. And for me, those are all kind of part of an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit specifically about B-School because it's been just such a juggernaut. I mean, you've had 55,000 people go through it, I believe, in 190 countries. I didn't even know there was 190 countries. Yeah, 148 Um, countries. We have 190 countries in our audience, but 148 in terms of B-School. Great. And and really have developed... God, just a legacy of incredible success stories and a really beautiful community. So, uh, you know, but now I wonder what was the inflection point um, for starting it? Why did you start it? For yes. whom did you start it? I'd love just to hear about that. 
Yeah. So going back to the early part of my business days, because I didn't know anything about this brand new world of entrepreneurship, I had no idea how to start or run or grow a coaching company. So I found myself going to conferences and seminars and going anywhere that I could to get that education. And I started to notice a pattern. And what I noticed out there, well, first, um, a lot of the spaces were once again, heavily male dominated. So 99.9% of the people on the stages or at the conferences were men. And I was like, wow, this seems really unbalanced. But second, what I encountered was so much of the messaging was around that customers were nothing more than numbers at the bottom of your balance sheet. And it just felt really aggressive. It was like, let's extract as much profit as possible. (laughs) You know, there was kind of no visual aesthetic, everything like yellow highlighters and flashing lights. And I was like, oh God, I just felt like I walked away from some of these experiences needing a shower. And it was completely (laughs) divorced of my own experience. Like my dad was a small business owner. He had a printing business. And like what he taught me about over delivering for your clients and like how you have this personal connection and you really care about your clients and their families. Like I was like, wait a minute, there's a big disconnect here. So at that same time, I was also teaching a lot of hip hop classes and fitness classes and my coaching clients were often women. And I would get them asking me like, Hey Marie, I have this idea to start my own thing. I don't know the first thing about business. Can you give me some pointers? And I'd run into other women. They're like, oh my goodness, I have this great idea, but God, I've never seen anything like this before. Do I need to go back and get an MBA? And I would recommend some of these seminars. They're like, ugh, I don't want to go to that thing. So I saw this huge opening in the marketplace. I said, this is a huge opportunity for me to teach people about what it takes to start and grow a business in this modern world, but do it in a way that is completely aligned with their values with their creativity, and with their desire to make a difference. That was the big thing, Jeff. Mm. Every person I talked to was always like, I, I don't just want to just have you know piles of cash. Like I really want this to make a difference to the people and even beyond. Like they had philanthropic dreams. There were all kinds of things. And those were my dreams as well. So I started B-School really because it was the thing that I wished that I had when I was first starting out. Mm. And I also noticed that there was a lot of people, particularly big hearted creatives and more consciousness minded and spiritual folk who had negative associations with sales and marketing. They would often say, you know, I have this great idea, but someone else should market or sell it. I'm just the idea person. Or they would just poo poo that piece of it saying, you know what? I'm just so good. People will show up to me. Like that's how the business, and I would just want to shake them and go like, no, no, that's not how it works. Like sales and marketing is the lifeblood of your business. And here's the thing. There's a big difference between old school marketing, which is kind of like being like a used car salesman where you feel like you have to manipulate people or push them or somehow use unsavory tactics to get people to take action. I said, no, 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 let me teach you about modern marketing where the best of your humanity comes out, not the worst. In other words, you've got to be Mm. honest and generous and display empathy and compassion. You have to be of service. You have to use all of your creativity. You have to connect from your heart. And they were like, wait, that's marketing? And I was like, yes, that's marketing. So you asked the question, you know, why did I start B-School is because nobody knew that there was this whole other possibility to run a heart-centered business that was both profitable and meaningful. And I wanted to create that space and that community for people to do just that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, And, you know, in my experience, one of the things that I've focused on as I've architected new businesses 
is being very mindful and intentional about overlaying the social impact or the mission of your business with the actual profitability or economic success of the business so that those things are actually intertwined and one in the same thing. It's not like, you know, oh, I, you know, work for an oil and gas company and we have a environmental mission or something, you know, essentially, you know, for a commune, you know, our goal, our mission is to bring well-being to a billion people, to democratize the ideas and practices around well-being in order to really change consciousness. And that's a very, very lofty mission. But I'll tell you, if we accomplish that mission or even 50% of that mission, our business from a bottom line perspective is going to be through the roof. So there's no compromises or friction between the success of the business from a purely empirical financial basis and the mission and the impact that we wish to have in the world. And I've found that to be a really important tool for architecting businesses. Uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that that's possible, you know, and, mm. and that's why I get so excited about uh, taking people through B-School, for example, because we open them up to this whole new paradigm where as they build something from the ground up, or even if they have an existing business and they're ready to scale it to a new level, where it's like, oh, all of the good things can happen. Yeah. And the more that I imbue this business with caring and heart and integrity and mission, it actually does help all of those business metrics in terms of our profitability. And I think about it from a team perspective too. You know, When you have that kind of business that you're passionate about, it has a clear mission, um, you attract really high quality talent. And over the years, that has made the hugest difference for us and our team. You know, all of the different initiatives that we do, all the different content that we want to create, all the different projects that come out of this head and heart, and the people that show up and go, yes, I want to be a part of that, is because they feel and sense that integrity, and they feel and sense that heart, and everyone has the ability to build that for themselves. It's a Mm -hmm. really exciting time right now. And that's what I get so, I I just get so thrilled about it, because people come into our doors, Jeff, who who are so talented. I was thinking of this one woman. Her name is Elizabeth. She used to drive home from her job every day, clenching her teeth so bad. She was so stressed out that she was afraid that she was going to give herself, um, get herself sick permanently. And she was wishing her life away, like couldn't wait for retirement because that's how miserable she was at work. But she didn't know what the hell else to do. She came into the program, not even having a business idea, not even knowing what she wanted to do. She came through the program, did everything, turns out she wanted to be a fine artist. She wanted to start an art business. She is now making her full-time living as an artist, doing art prints, things that she knows that brings beauty and peace to the world. I was like, you couldn't predict things like that. Yeah. yeah, I and mean, then, that's it. Yeah. Yes. And there's other people. And it, I think there's just magic. You know, you guys do this so well with Commune. When you get in community with people who have that consciousness mind, with their values, they wear their heart on their sleeve, they're open and receptive to creativity and learning. So many beautiful things unearth within you, possibilities, people you meet that you could never predict otherwise. It's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that you just excel at. Um, and in our modern society, you can't turn your head without seeing images and messages that essentially 
make you feel like you're not enough. Mm. And that is leads to people creating stories for themselves with a lot of limiting beliefs. Yes. And when I look at your central message from your books to B-School, there's certainly a business and financial component to it and some hardcore nuts and bolts. But I also really see it as an empowerment business or a personal development business because what you are doing is helping people overcome these limiting beliefs people that might feel paralyzed by the enormity of the idea of starting their own business you know and that could live within that paralysis and limp through life yep but so if i was one of those people where i knew that i had a spark in me i had a passion but i just felt paralyzed by the enormity of it all and i was holding honestly a lot of limiting beliefs how what is your message to me well i would say first of all this is something that i've seen to be true throughout my two decade career now you wouldn't have the dream in your heart if you already didn't have what it takes to make it happen that's how this whole mm. thing works so if there is that spark in there that like desire that you're meant for more even if it doesn't have um, a clear image at the moment, it's just like a little impulse or a little inkling. You have to trust that and you have to follow that. I believe it's your internal guidance system, your intuition, natural knowing, whatever your particular framework might be, but that's leading you in your highest and best direction. And even though you might have those paralyzing thoughts, I don't know how to do this. I've never done anything like this before. Maybe I'm too old. I've missed the boat. No, 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 no. We come back to the book that everything is figure outable. And what I've had the privilege of seeing now, you know, with 55,000 people through the program and, you know, countless more that I get to interact with, with Marie TV and the Marie Forleo podcast, I have seen people from all over the world in that same position, feeling scared, feeling paralyzed, unsure if they have what it takes. And I've watched them transform to become the people who they always knew they could be, but they just needed to put themselves in an environment and have a little structure and guidance and some encouragement, quite frankly, to follow through. And I've watched that time and time again. So I have zero doubt, like I'm clear on it, but you know, I would say to that person to trust yourself and to find a community, to find some structure, some guidance, any program that really resonates for you and dive right in because what's on the other side will blow your mind. Mm. As a way just to kind of finish out our conversation today, I'd really love for you to just tell the story of the genesis of Everything is Figure Outable. Oh, yes. Just that it's such a wonderful, rich image uh, or series of images. So I wonder if you could leave us with that. Of course. So everything is figure outable. I am so proud of the book. And one of the first questions I'm asked, like, wow, this is a really fun phrase. Like, where did this come from? And I have to take it back to New Jersey and to my mom, who we've talked about. So my mom is this incredible firecracker of a woman. She's in her 70s. God bless, we still have her. She's about 5'3". She's got the tenacity of a bulldog. She looks Mm -hmm. like June Cleaver, and she curses like a truck driver still to this day. (laughs) I get all text caps with expletives. She's amazing. One of my favorite memories as a kid growing up in New Jersey was on Sundays, sitting around the kitchen table and clipping out coupons with my mom because she loved to teach us all the different ways that our family could save money. 
And the other thing that she taught me was to pay close attention because brands would send you these cool free things like cooking utensils or recipe books if you saved up what was known as proofs of purchase. And uh, one of her most prized possessions in the whole world was this tiny little transistor radio, an AM FM radio that she got from Tropicana orange juice for free. So this thing was shaped like an orange, looked like an orange, had a red and white straw sticking out of the side. That was the antenna. And my mom's one of those persons, like she loves music. So she would take this thing around her everywhere she went. And I knew the way to find my mom when I was a kid, somewhere around the house or somewhere around the yard was by listening for the sound of that tinny little radio. So one day I'm coming home from school, I'm walking towards the house and I hear the radio blaring music off in the distance and I get closer and it turns out it's coming from up above. And I see my mom, she's perched on the roof of our two story house with the little orange sitting next to her bum. And I'm like, mom, what are you doing up there? Are you okay? And she's like, Ray, don't worry about it. I'm fine. I said, she said, the roof had a leak. I called the roofer. He said it was going to be at least 500 bucks. I said, screw that. I'm doing it myself. That's my mom. I come home from school another day and I hear the radio blaring from the back of the house. So I walk to the back of the house. Turns out my mom's in the bathroom. I push open the bathroom door. There's power tools all over the floor. There's pipes sticking out of the wall. There's dust particles in the air. It looked like an explosion went off. And I was like, mom, are you okay? What's going on? She's like, Ray, I'm fine. She's like, the shower tiles had some cracks in it. I didn't want everything to get moldy. So I'm retiling the entire bathroom. Now, Jeff, you got to get my mom is high school educated, and this is the 1980s, right? So this is a pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-Google world. One day, I come home from school, and it was in the fall, so it was late. It was dark outside, and I approach my house, and something's different. Lights are off, it's pitch black, and totally silent, which for an Italian-American house, not a good sign. I walk inside, and I had that pit in my stomach because I was afraid. I was like, what am I going to, what's going on? Like, where's my mom? Where's the sound of the radio? And all of a sudden, I hear these little tiny clicks and clacks coming from the kitchen. So I tiptoe into the kitchen and I see my mom hunched over the kitchen table, which looked like an operating room. There was screwdrivers, there was electrical tape, and then in about a dozen pieces was a completely dismantled Tropicana orange radio. And I was like, Mom, are you okay? Like, that's your favorite thing. And she's like, Oh, Ray, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. She's like, The tuner dial was a little off and the antenna was busted. She's like, so I'm just fixing it. And I stood there, Jeff, watching her work her magic like I always did. And then I finally thought to ask this question. I was like, hey, mom, how do you know how to do so many different things that you've never done before, but nobody's shown you how to do it? And she put down her screwdriver and she cocked her head to the side. And she's like, Ray, what are you talking about? She's like, nothing in life is that complicated. You can do anything you set your mind to if you just roll up your sleeves, you get in there and you do it. Everything is figure outable. And I was like, <laughs> like that phrase just washed exactly. It was like, oh, another moment. And I just, that little phrase got planted in my heart. And I'm not kidding you. Ever since that day, it has been the single most powerful driving force in my life. I still use that phrase every day. I used it today when I was at my house and I had a million things to do and the internet just went kaput. <laughs> like it saves me. It is my lifeline constantly. When we hit something in the business that we don't know how to do because we've never done it before, um, we hit challenges. I had challenges in my personal life with my health. I come back to everything as figure outable. It brings me a sense of calm and peace and it redirects my brain to start focusing on solutions rather than problems. 
and to just mm. ask myself, what do I need to do next? Is there someone I need to call? You know, is there a simple action I can take that'll help me take that next step? And it works like magic. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. I can imagine so clearly in my head the, the, that radio, that little transistor radio. And what a great lesson um, that your mom gave you. And certainly you've used it um, to your benefit. I mean, you've been undaunted uh, around pursuing such a variety. As you say, you've been the multi-passionate entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And, uh, and what, you're, what you're doing and, and how many people you're impacting to be able to go into life undaunted um, and without that sense of paralysis and without the limiting beliefs that can hold back our human potential, that is so powerful. And um, I'm just such a, a huge fan and we owe you a great debt for all the work that you've done. So thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time today. I know how busy your schedule is right around this time of year. So I'm very grateful. Uh, well, I'm grateful for you and for your incredible team and your family. Commune is amazing. And I just feel so um, privileged, honestly, to call you a friend and to be a part of everything you guys are building. And thanks for everyone listening today. It was awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Marie Forleo. I hope you feel empowered to follow your passion. Self-doubt and fear are natural feelings. As someone who has taken risks on starting a number of businesses, I'm often confronted with the possibility of failure and worried about the judgment of others. But I am so glad I overcame those fears. It's led to a rich life full of beautiful relationships and personal and spiritual growth. To learn more about Marie and B-School, go to onecommune.com slash Marie. That's onecommune.com slash Marie. And that's it from the Commune for this week. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And more importantly, email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I always love hearing from you directly. That's all for this week. I'm Jeff Krasnow, and in love, include me. Include me.